Good morning. Last week, Terry spoke, as you saw in that clip, about the glory of God and having more glory, and about the fact that we can have access to God's glory in our lives just like Moses did through one thing. He says it in that clip we just, we just heard, through the indwelling Spirit of Christ. And that makes all the difference in the lives of believers. In fact, I would say that is the one factor that will make our lives different as believers today, make our lives different than those of those in the world around us. In fact, that fact being in Christ and having Christ in us is foundational to today's message. I believe, you see, I believe and agree with Terry when he stands here and says that I believe the Word of God is the only source of absolute truth on this planet. That's what the elders and the staff of Nineveh Christian Church believe. That is what we challenge you to believe every week. That is what we stand upon as a church. But let me assure you today that believing that is not enough. You see, there's a big important difference between believing that the Word of God is truth and then putting that truth into practice in and living it out in our lives. James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. James says, do what it says. You see, hearing and believing in God's word are important, even crucial steps, but they are incomplete without the practice of God's Word. And the truths and the promises today that we are going to discover today in the book of Romans chapter 8 will prove incomplete if you do not live them out in your life. And so it would be a helpful tool, a helpful question for us then every time we hear the Word of God, every time we encounter the Word of God, every time we hear a message that is truth from God's Word, to ask two questions. Number one is, do I believe this? But number two has to follow it, am I living this in my life? Believe me, church, it is one thing to say, for example, that Christ's Spirit dwells in those who believe in Him, and it is a totally different thing altogether to live with the indwelling Spirit of Christ in you. Do you see the difference in those two? One is believing that truth to be true, that Christ will dwell in anyone who believes in Him, but the other is living it out in practice knowing that the Spirit of God lives in me. And so, as we look at a very important topic today, a heavy topic, and I would say one that matters to every one of us in this room, I must first let you know that the promises we're going to find in God's Word, the promises 
in this passage apply to those who are living their lives in Christ and apply to those who are living with the Spirit of God in them. You see, today we are going to talk about a timeless truth, a timeless problem, a timeless question, one that is relevant, as relevant today as it was when the New Testament was written some 2,000 years ago. Today we're going to talk about the topic of suffering. See, the question is, if we are in Christ, and this is one of the things that often we struggle with in the church, if we are in Christ and the indwelling Spirit of God lives in us, what does that mean for suffering? Does that mean that somehow I am now exempted from the suffering of the world? Does that mean that somehow I don't have to face suffering? Because I'm looking at faces of believers who have faced more suffering than I have in their lives. And so, what does the Word of God say about suffering for believers? In a few moments, we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul has to say about the question of suffering in Romans chapter 8. If you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and be turned there. We'll get there in a moment. But first, I want us to start with one of the most common questions of suffering that I hear that we usually hear addressing this topic. In fact, it's what your sermon title is about today. It's about bad things and good people. If you're following along in your notes, it's the first lines there. And if you're really paying attention, you probably could have had this line filled in a long time ago. Here's the timeless question of suffering. Why do bad things happen to, you finish it, good people? We hear it all the time, right? Why do bad things happen to good people? Scripture says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. That's what this picture was. Suzette came to me later in the week. She had had the bulletin picture all week. And I think like Thursday, she said, oh, that's an umbrella with rain falling on it. Then she saw that that's what we were talking about today. Scripture says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And yet we raise the question, why do bad things happen to good people? There's really two problems with this question. They're in your notes today. And it's a question we've all asked at some point or another. Here's the first problem with this bad things and good people question. First off, who are the good people that we're talking about here? See, the truth is, if we're honest with ourselves, when we ask that question, why do bad things happen to good people, usually the good people we have in reference are right here. Now, we may be thinking about for a family member or for a friend, but usually when we have this in in our heads, that question we're asking about is the good people is, is me right here. Why has God allowed this suffering to happen to me? But let's look at what Scripture says about good people. Look at Romans 3, 9 through 12. Paul says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under the promise, the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away and they together have become worthless so that nobody 
no one who does good, sorry, so there is no one who does good, not even one. See, we're getting the truth distorted when we believe that we should be exempted from suffering because somehow we are good people. On our own, we are nothing. But even in Christ, the question is, should the church then, if we are in Christ, not on our own power, but what about Christ's power? Does that then exempt us from suffering? And if we're not the good people, by the way, who is? Look at what Psalms 25 verse 8 says. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. You say, when you, and I, when you and I ask, why are good things happening to bad people? We're getting it mixed up. I'm sorry, I mixed that up. I already did that. Why do bad things happen to good people? There we go. I do that all the time. We mix it up and we start to believe that we're good people, that if we believe and we go to church and we do the right things, that we're somehow good people enough to be exempted from suffering. And then when suffering happens, we start to believe that God is unjust or God is unfair. And the truth is we've got it all backwards because God is the only one who is good. Not me and you. We don't deserve good things because we're somehow good people. That's not the promise of God at all. So the second question that we have to ask in, in this good things and bad people, nope, I did it wrong again. Bad things and good people is what, what are the bad things we're talking about? What are the bad things that we're discussing here? Now you may say, no, that, that one's easy, right? Uh, we turn on the news. There's bad things everywhere. I can tell you a list of bad things. You know, when people die, that's a bad thing. And when people are, get sick, that's a bad thing. And, when, and we, we can go down the list of what these bad things are. Who's the source of bad things? And who's the source of good things? Look at what James 1.17 has to say about that. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. You see, Scripture's clear about where good things come from, and yet it gets a little muddier when we talk about where do bad things come from. Now, we know the bad things only exist in the world because of the presence of sin in the world, so does that mean that every Suffering that you face then is a direct attack of Satan or does God allow some of these things to happen? Does God have some of these things in his plan? And so really it's difficult to know sometimes where that line is between good things and bad things. And again, if we get it twisted around, we start to accuse God. Look at what Ezekiel 18.25 says. This is Israel kind of is dealing with this same issue, God says, yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just. Here, you Israelites, is my way unjust? Is it not your ways that are unjust? And so sometimes we find our way to accusing God of injustice or injustice or unfaithfulness because we assume that these things, not only are we good people, but these things are good things that we deserve, and these things are the bad things that we shouldn't have anything to do with. 
And yet think about this. Think about just one simple image. Think about the image of the umbrella. Think about the torrential downpour for a moment. You see, this rain coming down, when we hear this passage of Scripture, this verse that says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust, well, there's a question in itself. Is that talking about suffering for good and bad alike, or is that talking about the blessings of God being showered down upon His people? You see, think about the image. A torrential downpour could be suffering to you if you're in the middle of Kroger's parking lot. But a torrential downpour coming in the summer after a long drought to a farmer is the providential hand of God. And so the question is, what are we assuming the bad things are? And do we, in fact, have the power to be the one who decides what is good and what is bad? Or is that up to God himself? And in truth, can God do good out of what we think is bad? That's what we're going to talk about today. And so today, here's what I want you to do. I'm asking you to put aside this question of why is God putting me in this position? And why is God letting bad things happen to good people? And I want us to ask instead, what can I learn from the Word of God for moments where I face suffering? It's a powerful perspective shift that maybe we need. It's not when I face suffering, all of a sudden I turn and ask the question, why is this happening to me? But maybe even if I'm not in a season of suffering right now, it's important for me to say, what does God's word say about it? So that I can know what God wants for me when I suffer. And so let's read Romans 8 verses 18 through 30. This morning, the Apostle Paul talks about these topics that are difficult to navigate sometimes. So let's see, not, you don't need to hear what Will says. Let's see what God's Word says on the topic of suffering. Romans 8, starting with verse 18 and going through verse 30. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good 
of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. May God bless the reading of his word today. Today, we find three promises. This is what we're going to focus on today. In the, in the passage I just read from Romans 8, verses 18 through 30, we find three promises that Paul gives to those of us who are, this is in your notes, in Christ. These are two very important words, and I'm going to emphasize this throughout the sermon today. I cannot overstate it. These promises are promises for those who are in Christ. If we're talking about suffering, these are promises that we need to hear if we are in a moment of suffering, if we are in a moment of struggle or trial or loss or whatever it may be. But they cannot be claimed for those who are suffering outside of Jesus Christ. These are promises for those who are in Christ. Christ. And so with that in mind, with that disclaimer, let's jump into them this morning. Promise number one that Paul gives us about suffering. Our present sufferings cannot compare with our future glory. Look at it in Romans 8 verse 18 again. He says as much. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. This is something that I think if we hold on too fast to the world and the things around us, I think we start to see that all these bad things are starting to happen. And really, we realize our worldview is skewed. We're holding on to things as if if enough good things happen, then that's really our reward. And that's not the case. Our reward in Christ is the future glory that we have. In fact, look at the next line in your notes. And the more that I face suffering and study what God has to say about suffering, here's what I see. I believe, the next line, in fact, for those who are in Christ, our best days are suffering compared to our future glory. Think about it for a moment. Even our best days on this earth, even if we are in Christ, our best days here on planet earth will be suffering compared to the future glory that we can know in Jesus Christ. And why is that? Because since sin entered the world, this world has been shattered. This world has been broken. Removed from it was the presence, the the physical presence of God that was dwelling with Adam and Eve in the garden. And all of a sudden, the world became subject to decay. Look at what Paul says about this very thing in Romans 8. He's talking about groaning and decay. Let's look at what he says. Verses 19 through 23. He says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until this very time. 
Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. You see, this, this world is not it. And even on its best days, this world is not going to be what gives us joy. This world is, will never compare. Even on your best days and your best glory, think about the greatest sunset you ever saw. Think about the best sunrise or the best moment hiking out some trail somewhere and you look around and you think, you are just uh, surrounded by the glory of God. Paul says that will not pale. That, doesn't, that pales in comparison to what is ours in Jesus Christ. Paul says creation itself has been groaning since sin entered the world. Creation has been broken and is longing for what will be revealed in Christ, for the hope that we long for. And so church, your best days, your greatest days of glory and wonder and joy on this earth cannot compare to what in Christ we have promised as our future glory. It simply doesn't compare. Joni Erickson Tata kind of puts it this way. She says, imagine that in your life, in your heart, in your chest, you've got a home detector. And that thing's beeping, looking for the thing that it calls home. And she says, I, the more and more I walk around this earth, Joni says, I realize it's not buzzing for earth. There's nothing down here. That's it, that it's attracted to. It's, it's waiting for a future glory in Jesus. It is waiting for that which will be revealed in Christ. The promises of God. And so the first one in our suffering as Christians is that our, our present sufferings, church, cannot compare with our future Glories, And so if the church must face sufferings in this life and will face sufferings in this life, in fact, everything in this life will be suffering, then how do we do it? Look at number two. Promise number two is this. We are not alone in our present sufferings. And there's three things here that Paul tells us in this passage that we have been given so that we're reminded that we're not alone as we suffer in this body. Number one, we have hope. Look at Romans 8, 24 and 25. Paul says, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen, Paul says, is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have... We wait for it patiently. And what is that hope for which we're longing? What is that hope that we're itching for to be revealed in us, church? Look at Romans 8. This time the two verses right before where we started today. Verses 16 and 17. Now the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed, if what? We are heirs in Christ. If indeed we share 
in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Did you catch that? The promise is we are heirs of the promises of God. The thing we are waiting for is we will receive what we've been promised. The redemption of our bodies, he says. The, the restoring of our souls. The, the restoring of this world that has been broken and is groaning for restoration. All these things we have, have been given as promises if, Paul says, if we share in Christ's suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. And so the question has got to be asked, can a person have faith, true faith in Christ, to live a life who, that is found in Christ, to live a life with that indwelling spirit of God in them and not have suffering? The question we really ought to also be asking is, how does a person face suffering and not have the presence of Christ? Because see, when I see things, even things that I have faced, and I see families that don't know Jesus that have got to walk through those valleys, I don't know how they hold on. I don't know how they keep going. Because I got to tell you, church, I've faced some things in Christ and with the Spirit of God living in me that I wish no, nobody would have to face. And yet, that's not what we're promised. We are promised the hope that there is something better coming. We don't have everything that we've been promised in God. Paul says that it's not hope if you're waiting for something you already have. We are waiting for what is to come and what is going to be revealed in our bodies and in creation and in the sons and daughters of God. God has given us hope. We are not alone, but he's not only given us hope. Look at what else God has given us so that we're not alone as we suffer. We have the Spirit. We also have the Spirit. Romans 8, 26 and 27, look at what he says. In the same way, Paul says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. We don't just have hope that we're waiting for patiently without an anchor. Jesus says in John 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you. But you know what else he says? He says, I'm leaving you. But in that same chapter, he says, but I will give you the spirit. I will give you the counselor. I will give you the comforter. And he will be with you. In fact, Jesus at one point tells his disciples, you will be able to do more and greater things than I have done in my ministry here. Why? Because you won't simply have me with you and hear me teaching, you will have the Spirit of God living in you. Tell me how a person can have that 
presence of God, that indwelling spirit of Christ, and not be changed. Your life is not the same. Now, again, does that mean we don't face suffering? No, but it ought to change how we face suffering. Because church, you're not alone. You have the Spirit of God in you. Paul says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Paul says, we don't even know what we're supposed to pray. Sometimes we hit our knees. I heard a lady who lost her husband and she said, you know what? For weeks, my only prayer was, oh God. And yet God hears through the Spirit. Paul says, he intercedes even in groans that we can't understand and things that we can't comprehend because the Spirit is our connection to God. Jesus didn't leave us alone. Jesus didn't say you can have life and hope in me and and good luck because it's going to be hard out there. Jesus gave us his spirit to live in us. And church, that changes the equation. But what else did Jesus give us? We also have one more in this category. We also have the church. We have the church. And I don't think we can miss the church's role when we walk through suffering. Now, this isn't going to be from a particular passage in Romans 8, but if you've got your Bibles there, look at it for a second. If you've got Romans 8 in your Bible, and if not, look at the bulletin back. Just look at, let me point out a few things to you here. You'll get it in a minute. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Look at another verse. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning. He says, not only so, but we ourselves. He says, for in this hope, verse 24, we were saved. But if we hope for what we do not have, then we wait for it patiently. See what I'm getting at here? Who's this written to? Is this written to an individual? Is Paul writing this to one person who needs to know how to live in Christ? Paul is writing this to the church. And, and I think we miss it if we live a life believing that I can come into Christ and then live that by myself. That's not the pattern of Scripture. That's not the promise of God. Christ has made us whole in Him. Christ has given us life in Him. And now our identity is we are a part of His body, the church. Think about just who the book of Romans is written to. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 7. Paul says, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Who do you think that is? That's the church. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a common identity we now have in Christ, that we are together in Christ. And we are now part of the church. Do I sometimes wish it wasn't so? Because some of those church people are stinkers, right? But Christ did not ask you, Christ did not come into you so that you can live life on your couch watching sermons every week. Christ came into you so that you can be a part of his body.
body, doing what Christ does in the world. And think about it in terms of suffering. Think about it in terms of what he has given us. Then when I am weak, not only is his spirit strong in me, but when I am weak, the body of Christ can come around me in strength. The body of Christ can support me. The body of Christ can be what I need. And then guess what? When I am strong again, then I can be there for those parts of the body that are weak. And we can support one another in Christ. Some of the greatest moments of triumph and victory in my life have come in the lowest moments of defeat and suffering because I have seen the body of Christ rally around me. Because I have seen the body of Christ show what it is that the body of Christ does when one part of it suffers. We rejoice when it rejoices, but we suffer and mourn when it suffers and mourns. And church, I hope today that you know not only the promises of God, but I hope you know the promise of the church. I hope you know the blessing of what it is to live among his body and what that means for us as we suffer. He didn't mean for us to be alone, church. Let's look at the last promise today. Number three, if we are in Christ, doesn't mean we don't face suffering, but what's the promise to us? God will work good from all things. If we are in Christ, then our promise, the promise is ours today that God will work good from all things. Look at Romans 8.28. In fact, this may be the very verse that you were thinking of when I said we were going to be in Romans 8 today. Look at it again. He says, and we know that in all things, God works for the what, church? For the good, but look at the disclaimer, right? This is what we've been saying all day. For who? For those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. Look at this verse for a minute. Does God work good from bad, church? Tell me. Does God work good from bad? Yes. Does he do it for everybody? He does it for those who love him and for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, we know that verse. We hold on to that verse. Many of us anchor that verse to our souls in times of suffering. But let's not also forget what verse 29 says. Look at verse 29 as well. He says, for those God foreknew, he also pre predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that we might be the firstborn among many, he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. See, we hold on to that verse God works all things for good. God is going to turn all things for good, but we miss what verse 29 says. And so here's the question that's in your notes What is the good that Paul is speaking of here? What is the good that God works all things toward? Look again at verse 29. Paul says, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So what is the ultimate good that God desires for all those who are in Christ, for those who love Him, for those who are called according to His purpose? 
Is he talking about freeing us from suffering and pain? Is he talking about the good is that eventually you won't have to face suffering? No, he's not even in this instance talking about heaven. Now, Paul assures us in this passage that we have a hope of heaven and a hope of future glory, but that's not what he's talking about this good is right now. Look at what this good is. The good is that for those who... God chose for those who are in Christ and have the indwelling spirit of Christ in them that through our pain and suffering and heartache that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. The good is not that your circumstance would be changed. The good is that through your circumstance, God will change you. That's what Paul says in Romans, uh, again, chapter 5, where he says, we know that it's suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces what? Character. And character produces hope. That there is something, there's an outworking of the Spirit when we face suffering in our lives that actually produces, by walking through that valley, that produces in us the character that God desires out of the people who follow Him. And eventually we are being conformed through suffering into the image of Jesus Christ. We don't have it now. We wait for it. Paul says we are eagerly waiting for that which will be revealed. What will be revealed? Not only the redemption of our bodies, but it's going to be revealed who the children of God are. And we're waiting for that day. And church, if I am truly in Christ and His Spirit lives in me, then answer this. Can there be any better reward through suffering than that I would be able to draw closer and closer to Jesus and start to look more and more like Him as my life progresses. Seriously, think of something better than that. See, I would love it sometimes if I was just removed from a trial or removed from facing suffering. But that's not what happens. But in fact, what God desires is that through that suffering and through that loss, Christ is changing you. And Christ is conforming you to be more and more like Him. And so today as we close... I remind you again, the promises of Paul's words today about suffering come down to two words, church. In Christ. And so today, I want to close by addressing two people, two groups of people. Let's start with those who are not in Christ. If you don't know Jesus, then today I tell you out of love that these promises are not yours. Not outside of Christ, but I tell you out of the love and the mercy and and the adoration that God has for you that he died so that these promises would be yours. That he gave his son so that you could have these promises. And I I beg you to know him today. I beg you to come and give your life to him so that you can start to see what that looks like, so that you can start to walk with Christ in relationship and know 
the promises that he gives us. But today, I also want to talk to believers. Today, I want to talk, I'm going to close by talking to you who are in Christ. Does the Spirit of God live in you? Do these two words identify your heart and your life that Christ is in you? Then church, that changes the way that we suffer. It changes the way that we grieve. It changes the way that we live because these promises are ours in Christ. God has given us the, the, these promises that Our suffering does not compare. What we face here does not compare with what is awaiting believers in our future glory. That he did not leave you alone, church. That he gave you his hope. That he gave you his spirit. That he gave you his church to walk with you through pain and suffering. And finally, that God, if you're in him, that God will work good from everything, that God will work good from things we could never imagine could be called good. But he's the one who does it. You don't have any power. I don't have any power to turn good out of bad, but he does. And so the question is, is he in you? Because church, that's a game changer. And so today, if that is you, even if suffering has derailed you, even if suffering has caused you to turn your eyes to the storm and not to the Savior, even if you're in a valley right now, then church today, if Christ lives in you, then as we close with the rest of Romans chapter 8, let me say, these are your promises. This is the hope that you have in Christ. So as we close today, I'm going to finish... Start with verse 31. We're going to finish Romans chapter 8. And today, church, if this is you, if he is in you, then church, claim these promises. Romans 8, 31 through 39. Paul says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? Church, if we are in Christ, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, and more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, these are your promises today if you are in Jesus Christ. These, I'm going to ask Chad and the band to come out. These are yours today if Christ lives in you. Does that mean we're promised a suffering-free life? No, but church, what we are promised will pale into comparison to what we think we need right now. What we have in our future glory, what we have as being conformed to the image of Jesus is far beyond what we think would be best in our situation. And so today, the invitation is going to be open. Today, the invitation is for you. And again, I say, if you don't know that Jesus living in me, if you don't know the indwelling spirit of Christ, if you don't know what Christ in me is, the hope of glory, then I ask you to come today. I ask you to take that first step to be baptized, to, to ask Christ to come into your heart and give you that. Terry's going to be up here as we close today. He's, he's going to be here for a time of invitation. But today, church, if you do know that, if you know that Christ is in you, then today, no matter what you face, no matter what you're going to, to see when you go home, no matter what awaits you this week, then church, we can rejoice. We can celebrate for what Christ has done. Let's stand and let's sing. The invitation is open today.